Bienvenidos and welcome to the Voces Podcast. My name is Ana Lucia Lopez Reboredo, and I am your host. Today's guest is Ariela Rone Hinich. Ariela is an educational leader, cultural activist, and researcher based in Berkeley, California. She has been serving Bay Area youth and families since 2005 and has founded and directed a number of innovative Jewish educational initiatives that center community building, language learning, and nature connection at organizations like Urban Adama, Wilderness Torah, Ida, and Jewish Outside. Ariela holds a BA in Educational Policy and History from Brown University and an MA in Educational Leadership with a specialization in Early Childhood Education from Mills College. Her recent work has centered her Mexican Jewish identity and has taken an equity focus through her qualitative research on Latinx Jewish families. Today, she serves as the founder and executive director of Olamin, a family engagement program for Latinx Jewish families in the Bay Area. Olamim is also one of our beloved partners, and they will be co-sponsoring the next three episodes of this season. Today's episode explores a topic close to our hearts and communities, language preservation. According to the United States Census Bureau's American Community Survey, over 20% of the national population aged five and older speak a language other than English at home. Ariela, to kick off our discussion, could you introduce your research to our listeners? specifically detailing who participated and what you sought to uncover about bilingualism's impact on identity development of Latin Jewish children, and as well as the challenges parents encountered in nurturing bilingualism in their children? You know, it's such a rich question. First of all, when we ask about bilingualism and Latin origin, I think it's important to get specific about who we're talking about and where. My research focused on Latin Jewish families in the United States. And so for me, it was important to understand what Latin families in the United States are facing around bilingualism. And in order to do that, we need to understand the broader landscape of really monolingualism in the United States and the way that bilingualism has never really been a national policy for for language learning. And so when you talk about bilingualism in the home, you understand that for children, and this is 60% of children ages zero to five are dual language learners. That's a, that's a huge, in California, it's a huge percentage of children. They, they do have a home language. And I think the, the bigger question for these families is how do they maintain their children's heritage language in a context where there are so many pressures that are making that so difficult to accomplish? We do know, and um, research backs this up, that in the Latino community, Spanish language learning and bilingualism is associated with positive ethnic identity formation. So we see that children who have access to language learning at home, in their community, and even more so at school, develop a well-integrated positive sense of who they are we know that this is a protective effect for them that mitigates all kinds of other risk factors later in life. Um, and so this is important. I, I think that we also see on the other side, on the flip side, uh, what happens when there is language loss, which is very common in Latino families. Uh, we see how there is a, a threat to family cohesion. We see how the funds of knowledge that families have 
around their worldview, their values, their ways even of disciplining their children cannot hold when children no longer want to speak that language or have access to that speech community. So when we talk about community wealth and preserving the wealth of these communities, including their linguistic capital, their navigational capital, their cultural roots, language is a major link between identity and culture and community. And that's why language learning is is so important in in these communities and in these families. I, I couldn't agree more. Language is wealth. And for those of us that were lucky enough to grow up with a second language that connected us to our cultural background, I know we're grateful today. And I also hold that we didn't always feel excited about speaking another language and that we weren't always grateful. And the reality is that for Latinos, whether you're an immigrant or seventh generation in the United States, xenophobia, racism, and and pressures to assimilate have significantly impacted the language learning experiences of our community. And we're not the only community this has happened to. Throughout the 19th and 20th centuries, Indian boarding schools systematically and forcibly separated Native American children from their families and communities and put them in cultural assimilation programs where they were punished for speaking their native language or practicing any ancestral customs. I mean, when I was growing up, I had a friend get in trouble for speaking to me in Spanish during one of our classroom breaks. This, of course, made me really self-conscious as I'm sure it did to all my other peers whose home language was Spanish. And I made sure to never speak Spanish around another teacher. Well, fast forward 10 years, and my white American teachers are asking me to privately tutor their kids so they can appear more attractive to college admissions counselors. And that's that's wild. I'm still processing that. I mean, on one end, a teacher scolding my friend led a group of kids to associate their home language with trouble. And on the other end, It was helping white kids market themselves as global citizens. As an educator, I'd love for you to help us unpack this. And if you could provide any historical context, that'd be really helpful. I totally agree with you. I think that in this country, there's a complete racialization of so many things, including language, that when people hear Spanish, they think of brown people who are trying to get through the border. And and it's, it's a criminalized issue as well. There's people who who are arrested for speaking Spanish in this country. And there's people who get AP credit for speaking Spanish in this country. So we have to kind of look at it from an American historical perspective. And so there's a history of Latino families being told that if they didn't switch into English with their children, right, that their children would fall behind. That's certainly a part of how and why bilingualism is so difficult in this country. And why families face these challenges and these pressures to assimilate into English. Um, I will say, though, that in the United States, foreign language uh, has has been understood as something that you acquire, something that gives children more cultural capital, and it has never been acknowledged as home language. And I think that's where this justice piece really, really comes up. Um, We also see that families for whom Spanish is not their home language value Spanish language learning more sometimes than Latino families because of the commodification of Spanish, gentrification, right, of English language, of Spanish language learning programs. And, And you see that these are expensive programs. You see that Latino students don't tend to have access to their own language, um, and high quality Spanish language 
programs are, are not readily accessible, even in places like the Bay Area in California, where they're most needed. So I, I would say that there, there is a dynamic there that needs to be interrogated. Access to language is more based on class in our in our society because of the inability and lack of access um, and lack of value for multilingualism in our country. Oof, oof, gentrification of the Spanish language. Wow, that that got me. I wholeheartedly agree with your analysis, especially how society penalizes one group of people for speaking Spanish while rewarding others for the same action. So let's move away from the politics of language because we could really be there all day. And let's lean into the value of language as a tool for learning. So in preparing to conduct your own research, you looked at other studies examining the long-term effects of bilingualism. What did you find? What do you think it's vital for our community to know with regards to the impact that learning or knowing a second language can have on the way in which you interact with academic learning? What we see in bilingual education is that when you support home language in the schools, there's there's actually a cross-language transfer. And what that means is that everything, if you're able to continue learning in your home language, by the time your English language proficiency catches up, you can transfer all of those concepts mm-hmm. from one language to the other. And this is why dual language programs sometimes show that for English language learners and Spanish language learners, they actually achieve way higher than monolingual language learners because it's it's a cumulative additive effect when you can keep learning and developing in the language that you are already that you've already developed your whole conceptual framework in. So bilingualism is is a real educational issue. It's a cultural issue. It's an issue of access to who we are, to our identities and to our communities. And and, and this is why it's something that I that I'm invested in. Well, we're very, very lucky that you're invested in this work, Ariela. Now your study, El Corazón, which translates to the heart in Spanish, sought to shed light on the experiences of Latin Jewish parents as they embarked on the journey of figuring out how to pass down cultural heritage, language, and values to their children. Not an easy task. From a personal standpoint, I'm, I'm fascinated by your study. I'm, I'm so happy this exists. And for those of us that have yet had the opportunity to read your findings, I'm curious if you could share in a nutshell the biggest learnings you gleaned from parents you spoke to. What were the questions they were asking themselves as they navigate this stage of their parenting journey? I know that's a big question. And so I want you to share anything that you feel were major takeaways that you think is valuable for our community to listen to and and to hold. Something really phenomenal that I noticed in the Latin Jewish families that I interviewed is that they are so thoughtful about what they want to pass on. For some folks who have endured language loss, like Spanish language loss over several generations, it's very palpable um, that they see Spanish language learning in their families as a critical way to ensure Latin identity for their children. They see that learning their home language and their the language they almost lost or they have worked hard to regain is is a and they know they don't talk about this as like because they're gonna have great jobs or because they're gonna get a, access to you know 
AP classes in high school, they talk about uh, uh, it as a link to their identity, to their family, and to their traditions. And so I think a lot of parents see language and culture as, as a way to stay in a world with our children that has continuity. I think this is as true for Latino parents as for Jewish parents who have struggled over generations to figure out, okay, well, what am I going to transfer to the next generation? They are actually standing between what has come before them culturally and what is coming after them. And they actually have their own critiques about Latino culture, about Judaism, about Jewish communities that they live in, about the way that Latinos can be super anti-Semitic, the way that Jews can be racist. And they're not like, okay, well, I just want all of this for my children. I just want everything Jewish and everything Latino. I think parents are really trying to pick and choose, even at the level of books and noticing how books communicate certain things about, about language, about race, about identity. They're being very careful about what they expose their kids to and the kind of messages that they're getting. And so it's a great burden and responsibility to try to shape a child in a healthy way with two cultures that are often misunderstood, but they're also incredible curators of their children. And for kids who are kids of color, this takes on a whole other a whole other dimension because their their own vulnerabilities around racism also come up. And I'll say that for children who are white passing, they also come up because children who are white passing are often not believed to be Latinos either. Um, we do what we can at home, but then we have to face how institutions and societies are going to see our children. And so it's it's something serious that that Latin Jewish families navigate. Uh, oh, my goodness. I can only imagine how raw these conversations were. And I'll, I'll say one more thing that's really interesting, Ana Lucia, to me, is, and it's so basic, but children learn through association. And, and I, this is why you do the work that you do, which is Olamim. And as you've shared, Olamim is a learning community for Latinx Jewish families and individuals who hold a wide range of identities that are important to them. And together, you build community. And that's amazing. And I know that you've had tremendous success with the families that you've been working with in the Bay Area. And you've shared with me the things, the wonderful things that your daughter has said, affirming her own experiences in this community. So I'd love for you to share that with, with the listeners, because I think it's important for them to hear from your perspective, how children are responding to being a part of a language community. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a story. I've had children in the Olamin programs, we do a lot of our programming in Spanish, our Latin Jewish programming. Um, I've had parents tell me that their children have come up to them and said, hey, mommy, do all Jews speak Spanish then? Like Alma came up to me the other day and was like, mommy, how can they be Jewish if they don't speak Spanish? She is growing up because of the world that I've created for her with other families She's growing up to believe that being a Spanish speaking Jew is totally normal and is like, that's a norm, what a normal Jew looks like and feels like and sounds like. And I am, I am so happy that her identity is normal to her. That's what we need to protect and that's what we need to cultivate 
for all of our children is a sense that our children feel that they are not the different, the weird, the marginal, but that they're normal. This happens through community. This happens through having a speech community, right? This happens through having a cultural community. And for Latin Jews, this is so nuanced, right? Because we often have a speech community, but not a cultural community or a cultural community, but not a speech community. And so that's why these Latin Jewish spaces are so unique and so special. Oh, I got chills. I, I think that's so that's so powerful. And what we know today is likely going to shift. Latin American and Jewish culture has shifted a lot in the last five centuries. With that, like, what should we be paying attention to? I, it's such an important question. I mean, first, I want to say that culture is not a static thing. And it's it's an illusion to think that our institutions should have some sort of dominant language or culture, both because that does not reflect the global character of Judaism, and it is growingly not reflecting the local character of Judaism. And then the first people meeting this challenge are families, right? They're, we're on the front line of figuring this out, but, but we need to be supported by the, the institutions that want to see Jewish continuity. And so I, I really encourage institutions to learn from the research that we have, but to really become researchers themselves and, and really tune in to what's happening that they might see or, or might yet be invisible because it might not be who's coming through the door, but it, it is certainly the growing demographic who is either going to come through their door or not. And it's on them to figure out if that door is going to, is going to be an attractive one to come through. Yes. Yes. Like the study says, this work is all heart. I've had the privilege of knowing you for three years, and, and so I know a little bit about your why. But I'd like for you to share with our audience, you know, the reason you got into this work and, and why, why it's so important to you. So I migrated when I was 12 years old to the United States from Mexico City. Um, I'm third generation Mexico Cityan. And I think moving to San Diego, California at 12 was hard. I think being questioned around my identity constantly, I wasn't really seen as a Jew because I was from Mexico and all Mexicans are supposed to be Catholic. Mexicans are not supposed to look the way I do. It it really gave me a rude awakening into how terrible the American education system is in terms of understanding complexity and complex identities. And so I know that that's what we're facing. I know as a parent, that's what my child is facing. I cannot live in English solely. For me, Spanish is my heart. For me, Judaism is my soul. And and English is where I live. English is, is an incredible language of power and of thought as well. And I, I value all of the languages that I speak and all the cultures that I'm a part of. But But I see... I see where the pull is. I see what the mainstream is. And for me, hanging on to who I am, I can't do that alone. I need a community for that. When my daughter was born, she was really the first person in my family that I could speak to in Spanish all of the time. I would go to Jewish events and she was the person that reflected my Latino identity. And it really showed me how strongly I needed more Latinos to be part of my Jewish community. And so I, this work is very personal to me. 
I see the cost, the cultural cost to me of not having a Latin Jewish identity and of having to choose between Latin and Jewish constantly. And I don't want that for my child. I don't want that for other people's children. And more than anything, I don't want that for other parents. I think it's a very difficult, very isolating place to be. And what I love about this Latin Jewish work is that it's not about being victims. It's not about being oppressed. It's not about marginalization. When we're together, it's about joy. It's about fun. It's about laughter. It's about sharing. It's about jokes. It's about songs. It's about childhood memories. It's about funny music we love that we used to listen to that is ridiculous. It's about food that reminds us of our grandparents. It's about these things that bring us life. And that's what our children deserve. Amen to that. Yes, yes. Thank you, Ariela. Your research and work are inspiring, and we are so thankful to be in a loving partnership with you and Olamim. So felicidades on your incredible work. Y adelante, let's go. As I mentioned in the beginning, Olamim is a proud partner of this season of the Voices podcast. And in addition to this episode, the next three episodes will lift up the experiences of Latin Jewish families navigating cultural preservation. We look forward to the next episode. And until next time, ciao.